Welcome back to the Security Conversations podcast. My guest this week is Zach Whitaker, security editor at TechCrunch, and someone who has been following, I've been following his work for many, many years. I feel like you and I have some weird uh, overlay connections. Zach, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, we've had some overlaps over the years. Um, I think for a time we both worked at ZDNet, is that right? I got introduced to your work at ZDNet, correct? Uh, I was doing the Zero Day blog. Um, Larry Dignan and I created that together. Yeah, I am yeah. not sure how you absorbed that after I left, but you joined ZDNet, but you were not on the security Zero Day beat. How did yeah. that start? So I started out blogging maybe back in 2008. I was at university, you know, funnily enough. I was studying uh, criminology and social policy in England. And yeah, I, I started blogging with, uh, you, know, La, you know, Larry Privately? Dignan. Yeah, I started blogging. Um, How did you know, find you? How did Dignan find you? Well, as I kind of found him. How um, did you find Dignan? Because that's a really interesting story. You know, I started blogging on and off years ago, just privately, my own thing, um, writing about tech, always fascinated by tech. Um, started out as a Windows beta tester so many years ago. I was 14, 15 in my bedroom in in the middle of Nottinghamshire in England, and I started and you were writing right, beta testing blogging. Windows software and writing for whom? Beta te- it was just, 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 blog, just my own little thing. Blog. Yeah, my own little thing, just writing away. And, you know, I, I love doing it. It wasn't very good. It wasn't very good blogging. But, you know, I, I learned, you know, plenty of tricks and, and things over the years. And once I got to college, you know, I started, you know, wanting to do more of that, you know. And I reached out to Larry Dignan through a friend of mine, Mary Jo Foley, who still oh, works as a unit. Yeah. So Mary Jo, you know, and I have known each other for many years. Um, and well, through that whole Windows beta testing world. Through the beta testing world. You'd be amazed at how, you know, how that kind of works. It's a very small world uh, technology, you know especially that, back then. Yeah. Do you know that uh, Mary Jo Foley is singularly responsible for 90% of my career? Oh, she is? Yeah, pretty much most of mine as well. I mean, I, I owe her pretty much everything for getting into this place. Yeah, absolutely. Um, There's yeah, another big on some good people over the years. And... Um, yeah, so so we, um, you know, I, I got onto ZDNet pretty pretty early on, 2008. Started blogging, doing student reviews and blogging about student life, technology, so on. And then I think at some point in my early early career in in blogging, it was very informal. It was just blogging, and it was so much fun, so much creativity, just being able to kind of talk and you know, talk about, you know, what I'm experiencing in the student world. Um, back when, you know, Blackberries were still a thing and iPhones weren't really kind of in, in you know, in, in wide use. And it was, it was a bizarre world back then, you know, looking back, you're in the middle of a pandemic, you know, it seems like a world away, even the world away. So okay. yeah, it's, um, I started, you know, covering more and more about security. Um, security became a real passion for me, you know, especially the national security angles, you know, the Patriot Act and surveillance and, and the law that goes involved, you know, with, you know, hand in hand with surveillance. It was a fascinating area for me. And so I, I just kind of, I kind of jumped down the rabbit hole, if I'm honest, and that's just kind of how it happened. I just started, you know, spiraling into this world of, of security and, you know, espionage and intelligence gathering. And, and, you know, I started looking into, you know, the policy side of things, the legal side of things, and that kind of brought me into, a whole different level of security work looking at you know nation state malware and looking at all the kind of the hacking tools that governments use and looking at you know the the underground hacking scene you know i've learned so much over the years just by being a reporter being a fly on the wall to conversations going on 
um, I owe my career to ZDNet. You know, it was a really great platform to to blog, to work, to build up my uh, my kind of repertoire of of, of blogging and and right. journalism. It's it's been a it's, it was a, it was a really fantastic ten years. Um, I learned I a, a great you, deal. Yeah, Larry Dignan really really lucks out with journalists on on ZDNet series. He's had some really really good reports over the years. No, I mean yeah, 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 you, Mary Jo. With, I mean, you, uh, you were there for many years. You did some fantastic work. I'm, I'm so lucky to have been able to take over Zero Day from you when, when you when you moved on. It was... Oh, Larry, Larry Dignan and I sat in a coffee shop in New York City and created that Zero Day blog in our head. We were going <laughs> yeah. to go and create Hey, it's, it's lasted blog. all this long. It's still going. Absolutely. It's still going, Absolutely. yeah. But then, you know, the, the reins was passed to you and you took it and took it to new heights. And now Catalin is taking it to another level. So it's like really, really fascinating to watch how lucky ZDNet has been. It's been through so many generations, hasn't it? It's been so many generations of of reporters and bloggers and and people, you know, kind of covering the beat. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a real journey. It really has. What was been. your favorite? What was your favorite part of uh, working at ZDNet? And was was there a, a story or a series of stories you're most proud of? I mean, don't get me wrong. The work was the work has always been fun. I mean, I can't. I mean, it would be impossible to kind of just pin down one story. But you know, one one of the things I loved most about working at ZDNet and something I'm really fortunate that I've been able to, you know, continue doing it with my work at TechCrunch is the freedom to dig in, to investigate, to report, to look into things. Um, the backing of my editors to, you know, look into, you know, cases of wrongdoing, you know, and malfeasance and, you know, policy issues and security, you know, all kinds of things. It's that the freedom to kind of cover this stuff. I'm, I'm really fortunate. Not many reporters, you know, get to, you know, really dive into the, the into their passions. They're usually told by an editor to do this or to do that. So, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm I'm very very lucky. Been very very lucky my entire career for that for that freedom. A lot of your luck is made, though. I I, I agree that a lot of stuff um, comes by luck, and a lot of what you earn, so, you know, it's right place, right time. Some of it is privilege. Some of it is the ability to have a connection here and there. But a lot of what you accomplish in your career and your life comes from your own hard work. And a lot of the luck that follows you uh, is luck that you create. So don't just discount a lot of this to luck. You've done a lot of incredible work over the years. I think a lot of journalists kind of have that, have this, have the same thing as well. I mean, you know, it's all about luck, isn't it? Some of my best stories, you know, the things that I've, I've been so proud of, the work that I've done, um, have been stories that I've looked on. You know, they've been pure luck. There's been well, very little else. Obviously, you kind of stumble onto these things, and you, you pull a thread here, you pull a thread there, you dive down right, the rabbit hole. But you didn't really you stumble go. onto it. You didn't really stumble onto it. That comes from 10 years of being in the right place to stumble on the right brick, right? So don't always, never, it, it, you, it, they don't land in your lap. A lot of this comes from the time you put in building your credibility with your sources and your resources for someone to... To yeah. accidentally drop this in your lap comes with that territory. So it's definitely like, yeah, there's a, there's a lot. I think you know what what the the thing that really helped me, and I think what's helped a lot of security reporters out there is knowing and living and breathing the topic. You know, because it's a passion for me. I love security. Don't get me wrong. I could not pop. I I couldn't pop a shell even if you put a gun to my head or gave gave me a million dollars. But it's so much fun learning about it and understanding kind of how it works and learning people's research and, and understanding, being able to put, you know, pieces of different stories together. It's, I've learned so much over the years, you know, from people like you who have kind of, you know, been, been there bloggy and so on, but also the, the security researchers I know, the hackers I know have taught me so much over the years. I mean, it's a, it's a topic I love with it's all my great, heart. It's the best beat. It's so much it's fun. The best beat in, in so much fun. The people I've got to meet over right. the years, it's been, 
it's been a, a wild career. I mean, I'm only what twelve years into my journalism career. I've had so much fun. I wouldn't How give this you- up for anything. <laughs> alongside the fun there's like a lot of grinding and painful parts of it and annoyances and frustrations and one yeah. of it is one of it is for someone like you who are dedicated to the beat from a vendor really strong vendor neutral passionate traditional journalism way you have to decipher what is being pr spun what is real news and how do I make sure I'm being credible when, you know, I need to lean on relationships with some PR people to get access to certain places and for them to tell their stories. There are some companies have legitimate stories to tell, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. How much of a struggle has that been for you, um, you know, trying to stay in the straight and narrow and still deal with this strange, weird world of, you know, balancing relationships over here? It is a strange, weird world in that you have to balance so many relationships. You have to, it's all about diplomacy, isn't it? It's about, in some cases, it's about access. In some cases, it's it's not about access. I mean, and a lot of the work that I've done over the years hasn't involved access at all. It's been, as you say, you know, it's been, you know, looking out on a, on a source or so on. And then, you know, maybe there's been a data breach or an exposure or something, you know, catastrophic's happened to a company. You know, I'm usually the one knocking on their front door and saying, hey, you need to talk to me about what's what's happened here. Um, and that's usually kind of, you know, how most of my stories have been. Um, a lot of the time, though, on the flip side of that, you will have good security research out there that's being worked on by, you know, people at vendors, at big companies and so on. And when they find things and when they when they serve them to, to journalists, you know, the, there has to be a certain... Um, inbuilt bullshitometer that mm-hmm. you have to register on your kind of internal measures and scales. You have to kind of gauge what it means to, you know, the world, the research, what it means to people, what it, what kind of impact it has on people, what kind of value, you know, the work kind of has on people. Because ultimately, as a reporter, I may have editors and bosses and managers and so on, but I really kind of report to very much the the people and the people who read my work and people who consume journalism. So. You know, I, I really take that to heart. And I think that matters. Knowing your audience and knowing what people need to know and knowing what, you know, some people don't even need to know. There are certain bugs and, you know, research and vulnerabilities, things that have been covered over the years, you know, which I haven't touched with a with a six-foot, you know, pole because you don't want to um, incite, you know, cause fear, incite fear or scare people unnecessarily over, you know, frankly, you know, non, non-issues. Um it's it's always a balance, you know. You really have to take into account, you know, what what the person out there needs, what they need to to know, how they need to know it, you know. And it's it's really important to put those people in, you know, in, first and foremost. Um, yeah, did you, you find? You, yeah, did you find moving from ZDNet TechCrunch made your life easier in terms of getting access to stories, getting bigger stories, having a different platform? What was the rationale behind moving from one that brand to the other brand? I'd been at ZDNet for 10 years. I mean, I spent most of my, you know, my career up until that point working at CBS, which houses ZDNet and CNN and CBS News, where I I, I wrote for. Um, it, it was 10 years of my career and I needed to, you know, I needed a new passion. I needed something, you know, new to, to build. And I was really fortunate that, you know, um, I, I just got my green card at that point. Um, I was able to to move jobs without, you know, a, a massive amount of immigration paperwork. Um, I moved to TechCrunch because you know it had a, a, a relatively you know small security section. And I wanted to build it up from you know basically from scratch. 
I wanted to kind of redefine what security meant in uh, the startup world um, in terms of, you know, how it affects our everyday lives, in terms of how it, you know, touches every part of tech and politics and, and policy. And so it's a really broad remit, you know, covering an entire um, topic. I mean, there's, there's, there's no real end to it. I mean, it's, you know, security touches every part of our lives, whether we, whether we like it or not, or whether we know it or not, uh, from the electricity grid to, you know, buying things on the internet. So, it's really, it's really been a, a passion for me. You know, it's been a project that I've been able to build up, you know, over the course of, you know, two years now. And you know, I'd say it's, it's been, it's been going pretty well. I'm really happy with, you know, with you know how things have, have been. But you know, security isn't something that's going to just be resolved, you know, one day, and I can move on to, uh, you know, to other things. You know, it's going to be a, a continuing, you know, project for me to to continue, you know, covering security in a way that makes sense for people. Are there stories you're writing over there or 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 themes you're pursuing uh, that you couldn't do at CDNet? Or is it just a different audience and a different um Yeah, it's it's a different audience, that's for that's for sure. Um you know, I, I think a lot of journalism these days isn't necessarily about the brand that you work for. It's kind of about the the work that you do. And I feel like a lot of people read um, you know, people's work rather than the websites that they're on. Um, sometimes, I mean, people go to, you know, Wired for Andy Greenberg and Lily Newman, you know, and people go to ZDNet for, for, for Kathleen, who does the work there now, you know, zero day, you know, I think people kind of follow, follow kind of brand, you know, follow people around, you know, no matter where they go. Um, I agree, especially in security, especially, especially in security. Yeah. And we shift around, we all shift around, um, you know, so, you know, I, I think, you know, for me, it was a relatively easy transition. Um, working at TechCrunch has been, you know, one of, it's, it's been one of the, the the privileges of my life, really, of my professional life. You know, I've, I've got a, a fantastic audience, you know, people who, who read, who people who understand tech, who understand the implications of, you know, all things security. You know, it's, it's a different kind of audience. You know, there's a, a high concentration of, of startup um, entrepreneurs, founders, and so on which has been really exciting for me to kind of dig into more as well. You know, uh, there's a lot of security, you know, in, you know, you, you see it, you know, the, the big headlines, but actually, you know, a lot of the, the, the core kind of security things that are going on at the moment are being done by startups. And I, I feel like, you know, the startups are going to be the, you know, the kind of the, the next generation of, of what we kind of talk about in terms of security news, you know, going forward is going to be new technologies, new advancements. Yeah, you know, I, you I find yourself writing for the next thing. Yeah. Do you do you find yourself writing for TechCrunch being a lot more switched on to defensive type technologies, innovation? Um, again, some of the things you're talking about, startup solving problems versus being uh, outside of the quote unquote startup San Francisco Silicon Valley bubble, and maybe not paying too close to because that's my biggest beef with what is security journalism today is like all these breathless headlines about breaches and breaches and breaches and email addresses exposed and like who cares all our email addresses have been owned and, and exposed <laughs> forever like really honestly to the yeah. end user like who cares and there's so much innovation happening and i'm not asking journalists to go you know promote products for companies i'm saying mm. like focus on some real groundbreaking hardcore innovation that's happening in startup world it's happening in academia and there's some people doing really really important work yeah. and it's really disappointing that journalists are just not paying attention to it at all yeah and i think so yeah. focused on the breathless like uh, uh hype nonsense it's anyway i think it's interesting um how 
journalism is these days. I mean, journalism, you know, we've had a really, really rough week for, for journalism. You know, newsroom jobs have been cut. You know, BuzzFeed's had you know, layoffs, Vice, uh, Condé Nast. Um, journalists are... I think, you know, are working as, as, as hard as, as we can to cover everything in a way that makes sense to our readers. But there are pressures, you know, out there from advertisers and so on. It makes it difficult sometimes to cover the things that... That are important. That, yeah, that need to be covered. Um, Because economically, it doesn't, it doesn't give you enough traffic to Sometimes, help, right? yeah. And in my case, I'm fortunate I have um, a, a absolute, you know, wide berth to, to cover... Anything that I see fit, anything that is 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 interesting, anything that's informative, anything that's innovative. You know, I'm I'm so fortunate that I have this free reign to cover what is needed. You know, and and when you know, I'm I'm incredibly fortunate, and um and that's why I love my job so much, and why I've been sticking out for for so long. I know journalism is often a bit of a thankless job. I mean, often we. You know, we just get, you know, people calling us fake news and the rest of it, which is just kind of part and parcel of, of what it's like to be in, in media in this day and age. But, you know, I, I, I really think that, you know, journalists are working as hard as they can. And, and you, you know, you kind of miss us when, when we're gone. So, you know, you kind of have to balance it up. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's tricky, but, you know, it's kind of how it is. I agree. I want to switch course to something a little personal. None of this is um, is private. You've been somewhat public about it. Um, is your, uh, what do you call it? I don't want to call it a struggle with because it's what you live with, with Tourette's and how that has affected your ability to work. Because a lot of uh, your work is based on doing interviews like this, talking to people and communicating with people. Can you articulate what that has been living with Tourette's in an environment like this and just dealing and coping and surviving and succeeding with it? It has not been easy. I mean, just living with a condition like this has been has always been difficult. It's a, the reason why I've been so public about my, you know, living with Tourette's has, has been because it is a public condition. I mean, the the nature of the beast is that you are, you know, you you have different kind of tics, involuntary movements, from vocal tics, from making noises to you know twitching your arms you know, all kinds of things. It's, it's a really quite a, a difficult condition to, to live with every day. It's exhausting. It's tiring. You know, it takes a lot out of you. It takes up a lot of mental energy. Um, and journalism in itself is, you know, as, as you know, as, as a former writer, you know, you know how demanding the hours can be, you know, how stressful it can be to get everything right, to do everything perfectly. Cause it has to be, um, journalism is one of those jobs where you can't really, you can't really, you know, screw up you know, too often publicly. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's been a, it's been a struggle, but you know, I've had a lot of support over the years. People have, especially over the last 15, 20 years, I've been a lot more understanding about the condition. There's been a lot more education about the condition. And, you know, I, I am very fortunate in that I've had a lot of support, you know, medically and also professionally. Um, my colleagues, wherever I've, I've worked, have always been incredibly supportive of me. My friends, have treated me with, you know, respect, my, you know, my colleagues have treated, you know, it it doesn't, it doesn't affect my life too much in my professional circles because, you know, it's, it's just kind of part and parcel of who, you know, who I am, I suppose. Is that Um, something to, is that something that's difficult to go public with? Because I imagine going public with it did help what you're just talking about, this this, this ability of your colleagues to, you know, be supportive and be there. 
um, a lot of folks just keep that private. And then I, I don't know, I'm trying to figure out how do you, was it, was it a difficult thing to say, you know what, I'm going to go public with whatever I have to deal with and, you know, cope with it that way. Well, because it's such a, an obvious and, and noticeable condition anyway, I mean, it's not like I can hide it. Right. You know, so I, I might as well just, you know, I, I learned very early on that, you know, as much as kids can be cruel and adults can be, you know, a hell of a lot crueler, you know, it, it's in my best interest to, you know, tell people about what it is, what it, you know, what it means to, to have this condition to educate, you know, it's, it, it shouldn't necessarily have to be my job to educate people, but it, you know, it, it kind of, it kind of has to be, and people have been great to me over the years and some people haven't, but they're not a part of my life. You know, the people who have been great to me over the years, you know, are a part of my life. And that's been, it's, it's been quite a, um, a wonderful kind of experience. It's been what has been years of, of difficulties growing up, you know, having this condition, my, my adult life has been, it has, it does, it does get easier because of people's, um, understanding and empathy, um, and accommodations. It does get easier. Um, the condition may not, you know, I'm very lucky in that I've had a lot of therapies, a lot of medications, a lot of treatments, you know, and I've been working at it, you know, really, really hard over the years. Um, but yeah, I mean, there was a time in my early twenties when my tics were so bad that I could barely leave the house. Um, it had a, a significant impact on my life. It was my quality and of life was, was basically days none. Trying to, yeah. yeah, yeah, it was. It was. It was a very difficult time. But you know what? I mean, it's you just have to kind of keep going. You know, and I had a lot of support from people, and I don't think I would have been able to make it this far had I not had that support from people. That's incredible. That's incredible. Um, we're coming up against heading into the thirty-minute mark, which is right around where I wanna keep the length of the podcast. So let's wrap up on a positive note. What are you most excited about writing about moving forward? Like what's the big story? What energizes you? You know what? I think over the last year, we've, we've looked at a lot more about location data. Location data has been um, such a, a huge part of so many stories over the past year or so. Um, and I think that's going to be something that continues to, to kind of unravel over the next few few years um location data is one of the most imp important and things that we have in our lives it can track where you go who you see um you know who you meet up with you know it, it can indicate so much more about you than just you know phone records which was just you know who you could see and when and why um location data is one of those fascinating things where you can do so much with it and people in a privileged position are able to see so much about your life we used to think of location data as being like the currency for the intelligence agencies, but now you've got apps on your phone selling data to data brokers to advertise to you, to track where you go. We saw just earlier this year, the New York Times had that massive story. In fact, it was a set of stories about location data that's being pinged from people's phones from the apps that they use. I mean, that was so enlightening. It was enlightening to see such what is, you know, such an obvious thing, it sounds like in hindsight, but when you actually drill into some of the, the details of what they know and, you know, the kind of what they can do to understand you as a person based off just your location is, it was unimaginable. It was, in it was incredible reporting. I think that's the sort of thing that we're going to see a lot more of in the next few years. Any area of security research, some of the Packer community, some folks in the security research space that uh, excites you? Any bit of research that... You know, I see so much. That the, 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 there's so much out there. I mean, it's, it's it's hard to kind of even pinpoint on on just one or two things. I'm always fascinated by you know um, 
jumping air gaps, you know, exploits that and, and, and tricks that are able to obtain data from computers that are air gapped. I find that fascinating. Um, I'm really interested in some of the social engineering side of things as well. Um, you know, being able to manipulate um, people into, you know, giving over their two fact, yeah, and also, you know, mixing that with malware as well. You've got, you know, malware and social engineering, you know, these kind of areas of interest to me, considerable interest to me, um, how people work, how people interact with, you know, with these kinds of things. Yeah. It's, it, I think it's, it's a really good, good area. Um, I'm always fascinated by mobile spyware as well. Spyware is another, um, interesting kind of part of, of some of the things I've been working on. A, f- a few weeks ago, I wrote about a spyware app, um, Spouseware, which, or Stalkerware, and uh, they had a, an exposed backend server, which was leaking all of their victims' data. Surveillanceware is a really interesting topic. Um, you know, it's it's really, it's it, it kind of defies the mind, you know, why some people would, would use these kinds of things on their spouses, on their kids. You know, privacy and security have always been these two things that a lot of people have kind of seen some kind of like overlap, you know, on the Venn diagram. But it's I think the the two things are more, you know, intrinsically linked than than we first than what then we've really kind of set to kind of discover at this point. I mean, we look at security and privacy. We look at people's phones. I mean, we have so much data on people's phones. And these sparrows are just sucking up all this data. It's you know, it's 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 really is a an area of policy as well that I'm 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 interested in. Um I think um I don't know what else. I mean, there's, there's so much to even, I mean, there's so much, Ryan. I mean, I don't even know where to start. I mean, spyware, spy, um, spouseware, stalkerware, surveillanceware. I mean, that's, that's an area of policy that we really need to kind of, you know, look into as well. Yeah. Zach, thank you so much for your time. Could you come back another time? Let's continue to shoot the breeze. Come back when you have a big story to. Sounds good. We'll do. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thanks, man.